And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Thursday morning on the East Coast where something big actually happened on an 11-game NBA Wednesday. It wasn't just 11 random games. It wasn't just 11 games that you completely forget immediately. Kyrie Irving, the Kyrie Irving, after much hullabaloo and controversy and many episodes of Zach's Amateur Epidemiology Hour, Kyrie Irving made his debut this season for the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets beat the Indiana Pacers 129-121. to Kyrie Irving had 22 points uh, in his first game looking pretty damn frisky. To help us digest all of this, what it means, when he can play again, I feel like I need the always sunny in Philadelphia flowchart to figure out when and where he can play. The person who knows this team better than anyone in the world, my friend and colleague, Miss Sarah Kustak, how are you? Z, thank you for having me on. This is this is a beautiful morning for me. Not only did I get to watch Kyrie Irving play basketball last night, but I get to talk to you. It's it's must be comparable, honestly, the two, the, two, the two events for you. So this game, Sarah, is an interesting Rorschach into how one might interpret the world. Uh, the Nets won by eight points. If you won every road game by eight points, you'd be like one of the best teams in the NBA ever. Like to, to, if that's your average road margin of victory, it goes in the books as an eight-point road win. Bam. On the other hand, uh, the Nets had to come back from, I believe, 19 points down to an Indiana Pacers team missing Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Duarte, Karis LeVert. Who else? I'm forgetting other people that were out. There were even more people out. Just lots of people were out. Goga, Goga, Batadze. That doesn't matter. Goga. No, doesn't, no, Jeremy no. Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. TJ and McConnell. T, TJ, both TJs. TJ McConnell and TJ Warren, who exists yeah, still been, but doesn't yeah. play. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, not not the greatest opponent um, for for the Brooklyn Nets. but And Kevin Durant. I, what are they doing with Kevin Durant? Why does Steve Nash, after every game, be like, you know what? It's really unsafe. <laughs> it's un, it's unsound for us. We've really got to do something about it. Hey, you know what, Katie? Play the last 30 minutes of the game consecutively <laughs> against the <laughs> Indiana Pacers team because we need you to win. So we need we need you to do that because you're amazing. And they won. So so how how did you you watch this team every game? You know them in and out. How did you zoom out? And, and I came out of that game feeling actually weirdly um, optimistic about the Nets, despite all of the things I just said. But I want to hear your takeaway. What was just your general emotional feeling? There's a lot of layers. And I think you hit on a ton of the points, namely a, a casual, a casual, what, 39, 8, and 7 from Kevin Durant that played 41 minutes. And, and we we're like, oh, yeah, just another night from, from KD. Uh, let's first start with Kyrie Irving because I think obviously he was the focal point and the reason for so much anticipation of what he was going to look like. Think about the fact he didn't play the first 35 games of the season, but I know we talk about this. You hear this from players. You have an understanding. It's one thing to be working out. It's one thing to be trying to get different runs in. I'm not even exactly sure what the, the program for Kyrie on a day-to-day basis throughout the course of the last however many months looked like. Uh, but NBA game action is something that you cannot replicate or simulate. And so I think for all of us, I'm sure for even after Kyrie spoke after the game for himself, just a curiosity of what is this going to look like? What is this going to feel like? We're so used to watching him play and the level of skill 
that he brings to the table. And to me, it was just one I will say as a fan of basketball and someone who just absolutely loves the game to watch how skilled he is at his craft and to once again see so many. I mean, I get to sit next to Ian Eagle and listen to the the highlight calls of the highlight plays, but to watch what the game has missed without him playing, I think was such a pleasure. And two, just, he really settled in quickly. I think, you know, out of the gates, he had some moves and uh, openings on the offensive side we normally see him make and maybe some shots that he missed. But by the end of the game in the third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, it was the Kyrie that we were accustomed to seeing each and every day. And I think that's really impressive when you zoom out and step back of how much time has been missed, uh, step forward, and then you talk about this undermanned Pacers team. And so you put it in perspective of the deficit the Nets were facing. This now has become a consistent, um, I don't know if, if issue or concern is at that point yet, because it's midway through the season and a lot of basketball has been played. Uh, but maybe overlooking some teams that come in and are missing a lot of key players and them have not having the requisite level of whether it's energy, attention to detail. Um, that's something I think this team is still figuring out and still figuring out as they piece together the rotation and combinations. But I think overall, the things you take away from it, one, how Kyrie looked in general, and two, just a lot of the decisions that Steve Nash is going to make now with the lineup. I mean, DeAndre Bembry is someone who came into that game in the second half made an instant impact, has been you, such you said a... It. You said uh, it on the broadcast. He changed the entire complexion of the game. DeAndre Brembry, a 2021 Luke Walton All-Star in my annual Luke Walton All-Stars column. Really? He he has been... Every time he plays, he's... Now, he, he can be a little frenetic, right? He can he can make some decisions that are like, whoa, whoa, dial it back. He he gets deflections. He gets steals. He cuts. He just... he He is... He was their Bruce Brown. Like he yeah. was their new Bruce Brown last night to the point that they closed the game with Durant at center, which we'll talk about. It was yeah. Harden, Kyrie, Durant, Bembry, and um, who's the fifth? Who am I? Oh, Mills. And uh, and he got a couple like screen and roll baskets, cutting cutting as the as the Bruce Brown in that super small lineup. He changes. He changed the whole game last night. He was plus a lot. I don't remember what a twenty something. Uh, yeah, plus twenty four. Be careful. I'll turn this into a DeAndre. Bembry podcast, if you let me. Um, but I think a, a couple quick things on him. This is characteristic of, of what we've seen him do consistently this entire season. And I remember watching him, especially when he was with Atlanta early, and you, you use the word frenetic, I think that's a way to describe him. But just even for as much as I feel like I've seen him develop and grow through the course of his career and as he matures and get. I'm really impressed. I mean, it, he's a, a beast on the defensive end on ball, off ball, passing lanes, instincts, knowing where to be, timing, all the stuff, all the things, right? Offensively, th that's where I've been impressed because he moves and cuts so well off the ball and in the wake of a lot of these players. So him playing off of Durant or off of Harden, now seeing him off of uh, Kyrie, and he has been solid enough from three. You'll see it at what point, if it does regress, maybe more back to the mean, but he's been shooting the three really well, selective in taking those open shots. Uh, but his movement offensively, it, it does, and it changes the clip in the tempo of the game. So he was a really important factor, but I, I think that goes back to, uh, and I'll let you get into it, but just the options you have with playing coming into the season and when the team thought that they would have Kyrie Irving. I think the big thing we discussed, and let's not forget Joe Harris being hurt, 
So the lack of spacing and three-point shooting they've had without him, I think has been something that um, has hampered them throughout moments and stretches in you know the last last few weeks. But I think just the optionality and ways that you can play big or small, where you're playing Kevin, if you're going big, are you putting Aldridge in there? What Claxton looks like? Claxton now has started to get healthier, conditioning back now that he's come back and how he fits in with that lob threat and uh, the versatility he brings defensively. So I, I think to me, uh, I know Ky- adding Kyrie Irving on the road, so again, just on the road, is one thing. But then how do you remain fluid enough and everyone understand roles and responsibilities in both places and with different lineups um, to be able to find consistency where there is kind of a complete level of, you know, inconsistency. Let's let's start with what you just said. Kyrie on the road. Our Nick Friedel asked Kyrie after the game if, if being around the team and whatever would maybe make him change his stance on getting vaccinated and Kyrie just said man I'm just taking it one day at a time and then he went on from there so I'm using one day at a time now for any time anyone asks me a difficult question even if it's like even if it's unrelated if my wife is like hey are you gonna take the car to get to get it's it's 5,000 mile check you know what honey I'm just taking it a day at a time can you can you chop the potatoes for dinner tonight you know just taking it one day at a time. Um, so, so you talk to the players and the coaches more than I do. You're around this team. Like, I have – this is a completely unprecedented situation. If this persists, a half-available, geographically half-available player, we've already had these ridiculous discussions which make me want to throw up in my mouth. I, they're so ridiculous I can't even have them about would the Nets – like throw games at the end of the season to be the second seed instead of the first seed. Like I can't even, first of all, the basketball gods will notice that and they will punish, they will punish you. They Me will punish you. Are you are in with the basketball gods. They will, they do not, they do not, are already. Do not mess with the basketball gods. I can hear the grumbling on Mount Abdul-Jabbar up. They are, they are <laughs> grumbling already at the very existence of this discussion, but more, but, but, he does have Kyrie does have the kind of game where it's just like plug and play. He's not the number one ball handling option anymore with with Harden and KD. He's not the number one scoring option. Uh, he he doesn't even like play as the only star all that much. There's either one of Harden or KD on the floor with him. Of course, last season they settled into a rotation with the brief time they had these guys where Harden would be the solo star more than the other two. Um, and, and he just sort of, he's a baller. He just comes out and plays. But is there, is there like, how do they actually feel about this? It's just so weird. Like, is it, is, is this a sustainable thing? I think so. I think so. At least it, we'll, we'll take this day by day, Zach. Uh, I think at least, <laughs> I think at least for, for the time being, just given the fact that the dialogue from the staff, from the guys, you name it, um, had been a level of mutual respect for the decision he was making and vice versa. And I think that has been consistent. Um, Welcoming him back by all accounts, everyone that you talk to, you see, um, you see it in their face and their words and their expressions and how they say we're thrilled for him to be back and be back on the road. He's going to be still practicing. I know practice is, is very limited in the NBA these days, but whenever they're back in part, so just even just being around the facility. So less about, okay, we're, we're running through sets, but more about just being around. 
Um, and I think for those reasons, this is such a unique year. This has been a unique, I mean, look back to the last three seasons, the uniqueness and just everything that all the challenges that all teams have had to face, players alike, um, that maintaining fluidity and just maintaining a, some guys are in, some guys are out, the rotation changes. You need to be able to bend and mold with what we need on a given night. I think that's something that everyone has gotten so comfortable with. And with a veteran-laden team, or at least the, the leadership of this group, um, to me, some of the challenges of it just fall on the players in the more complementary role players whose roles may differ, the time may differ, the touches may differ, depending on when he's in or out of the lineup. So you look at someone like Patty Mills, and Patty Mills is as pro of a pro as they come. And Patty Mills only wants to win, and Patty Mills will do whatever it takes. So, like, you look at an individual like him, is DeAndre Bembry someone who that might factor in? I mean, it can go down the list, but the individuals that I think you need the buy in from, or you need the ability for them to be um, flexible with what's happening, I feel like that's present and that's there. And if it starts from the top, it, it Kevin Durant is thrilled, as you heard him talk in his post-game press conference, just having Kyrie back, James Harden. Um, Kyrie has maintained just such a, uh, since coming back, his comments, level of gratefulness to be back around the guys, be back around the game. Uh, that That is what gives me optimism that this can be sustainable. And do I think that it's going to take some time and there are going to be some challenges? Will there be some, absolutely. But I think, you know, go to any team in any situation in any season, like there's always something, there's always things that come up. There's always, uh, you know, challenges you have to figure out and work through and, and problem solve. And so I think this is a unique one and this is an unprecedented one, but I think this is one when you have the option to have that type of talent on the floor, even if it's part-time, you, you take it. Can I tell you why I came out of last night's eight-point win over the decimated Indiana Pacers feeling sort of surprisingly optimistic about how yeah, it looked? Yeah, I'm excited to hear this. <clears throat> Give it to me. First of all, I, the starting lineup itself was quite interesting, that they went with the big three plus David Duke Jr. and Claxton. To me, right now, if I had to pick the Nets starting five, it would be that group but Joe Harris in David Duke's spot. And, and that is also a candidate to be their closing lineup depending on against great teams in the playoffs, depending on the score, the situation, all that. The three stars, we know the closing lineup is going to be the three stars plus Joe Harris, right? And, and you're completely right. Joe Harris has been out of sight, out of mind. It's not just the shooting and the spacing that they miss. It's that he's like a roving spacer. He moves, he screens, he cuts. He takes defenses with him all the time. And the Nets, like, for as good as they are offensively, when it's just Harden, Durant, and, like, kind of three just guys who can't – like, a lot of three non-shooters or two non-shooters. Unless, and like, unless Patty's in. Unless Patty's in there. It just kind of gets, like, it's a little sloggy. And it's it yeah. doesn't matter because those two dudes are so good. But they just need a little juice, and Joe, Joe has that. So those four guys plus Guy X, depending on what the score is. Claxton, to me, has has – done enough that I'm more interested if you're going defense and size in that slot I'm more interested in him than Aldridge Millsap Bembry Brown or Blake Griffin who forget the three-point shooting he cannot finish anything at the rim what looked to be dunks he turns into crazy up and under layups if there's even the, the mere presence of like a shadow 
of a defender. I'm getting a little depressed about it. So I like that they went with that lineup. And just, look, they turned it on at the end of the game. We'll talk about how that super small lineup with Durant at center looked. But I I just, you know how many games, by the way, they've played with the big three in two seasons now? I do, but I'll let you say it. You Total, say are we including playoffs? This yeah, is including 15, playoffs. That was their 15th, right? 15th? Uh, 15 or yeah, 15, 15, eight regular season, six playoffs, one regular season this year. And look, that's a very small sample size. Obviously they are now with the big three on the court in 16 games. They are now plus 114 in 349 minutes, which is the equivalent of winning a 48 minute game by about 16 points. Their offensive rating with those three on the floor is about 130 points per 100 possessions, which is so far above the greatest offenses in NBA history that it's a joke. And you saw it last night when they got their ass in gear and they had all three of them on the floor. And Kyrie is in, is this the perfect? He's in the perfect role as sort of the connector between Harden and Durant. And we can talk about how that looks and how it materializes. He injects them with pace, like they played last year at their fastest when Kyrie was on the floor, and often when he was him and just one of the stars. And just like, look, we're 16 games into it. It's it, Their defense with those guys has only been okay. There's just no evidence that there's any answer to this group offensively. And Nash, in finishing the game with Durant at center last night in a lineup that is so small, it makes the Warriors' old death lineup look like it's got like Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> and Shaq in it. Um, Nash is going to lean offense. And, and I just don't know what the answer is. If those four dudes are on the court, the three stars and Joe Harris and pick whoever the fifth guy is, there's just 16 games in against a small sample size. They just look completely unguardable. And this is why they were my favorite, my pick to win the title, and Vegas has picked to win the title before the season. And you can laugh at all this and tell me everybody Indiana was missing last night. And I get it. But in Kyrie's first game back, when they really got their ass in gear, it was like, oh, yeah, you can't guard these guys. And Harden didn't even play well. Uh, you nailed everything. You nailed everything. And I think to your point, when they got it in gear, and that's what it is in terms of just a level of engagement. Um, that's what we saw in particular in the playoffs. That's what we saw when they were together in closing time. Uh, when they lock in, they're, they're locked in and it forces defenses to make such challenging decisions. And I think what we've seen throughout the course of the season without Kyrie, um, and, and James still had been rounding into form. I mean, James, you know, he's looked different since coming off and, and he had an off night. He's had an off night the last few nights, but coming out of health and safety protocols. But that's, more like, that's the thing. Every look, time he turns the corner, he turns back around and goes around the corner again. Like the last two or three games, I'm like, where, like, can we get the, can we get some, like, where'd the James Harden that lit up these teams like a week ago? Where'd he go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but yes, yes. To that point, though, at the end of games, like I remember in the early parts of the city, you, you could say, yeah, send a second to Kevin Durant. He could shoot over everyone. He's making these unbelievable plays and scoring and putting up 40, regardless of, of what coverages they're showing. Well, now with the end of game, you can't do that. Like that's what you like to me with Indiana. And yes, it was a decimated team. Um, but it was just that concept of when you have shooter and add Joe Harrison to that mix. But Patty Mills was a part of that. Like you need to make a lot of really challenging decisions as a defense of who you're going to leave. Are you going to double someone? Are you leave a single coverage and then, okay, so James or Kevin or um, 
you know, Kyrie are going to have their pick at someone, the spacing of the floor. Uh, There's just, there's so many things, Claxton coming in um, and giving you that threat in the pick and roll. I I think there's just, there's so much offensively that they haven't even, I think, tapped into, to your point with the limited time they've been on the floor. But I think the sample size that you've seen is just how well they work off of one another. And that to me, and I think that was even a question for all of us going in of, when they when they have time in the floor, how will they, they um, work together? What will it look like? What will the ball movement like look like? And I think they just have such as they've been doing this for a really long time at a really high level, and they are high level thinkers on the court. And because of that, I think the pieces around them as well um, just have, have been able to find a lot of continuity. And um, you know, for those reasons, I, I think there is a, a, a ton of optimism for what it could grow into. But that's, you know, that's still yet to be seen as the season continues and and to the concept of this is going to be, you know, what we see on the road. And then it's going to be how do you move back and forth between that type of of lineups and options um, when you are at home for the next few, you know, next few months. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. When you play four guards and Kevin Durant against Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis, and by the way, Domas Sabonis spends the entire game just eating your lunch and beating the crap out of you and getting offensive rebounds, you're making a statement. And the statement is, we don't care. Post us up all day long. You cannot guard us. We do not care. And not only that, we might not have size. We may not have rebounding. They're 25th in defensive rebounding, which is the red flag that's been red for a long time now. We, what we do have are, when we try, a whole lot of quick hands and a whole lot of defensive IQ, switch, rotate. And you saw they got so handsy in the fourth quarter. They had 12 steals in the game. And they're just, they're, they're just betting we'll force enough turnovers. You're, James Harden, for all, for all his faults defensively, is a brick wall in the post. Take some jump pokes over him. You'll miss some. We'll get out and run. But it really is a statement of, like, we'll suffer a little on the glass. We might suffer a little bit defensively here and there, but we like we like the the, the handsiness and and the and the smarts that we have. I do feel like they that Jeff Green piece, that sort of bigger 
sort of co-center with Durant. I, I missed that. I think they missed that. But they're just betting like, you can't stop us. You're not going to be able to stop us. And so far, when they've been whole, and again, they were not whole when they lost to the Bucks. obviously, in the playoffs. It's only been 16 games. Like, nobody, you not only can they not be stopped offensively, like, they're just, they're, they're, they're rendering defenses completely helpless. I, I don't know what the answer is, honestly. Yeah, I, I will agree with you on that. I will also say that's where the defensive component, that's where I was impressed just in the last few minutes, final stretch of the game, whatever they close things out. Uh, you can even go back to the end of the third quarter. One about the hands, and you, you see that in the dig downs, you see that. I mean, Bembry was a perfect example of that. Uh, but Kyrie, really good hands. James, really good hands. Uh, and then the the double switch factor of trying to make sure that Tevin ended up with whoever was on the backside in the post. And so did the Nets get beat in a certain amount of instances? Absolutely. Um, but I think even just the communication, you know, early Kyrie would get caught underneath, a smaller get caught underneath. And by the end of the game, they figured out how to get that second switch and at least have Durant contesting whoever was on the inside. And that proved really beneficial and effective. And I think that's part of the evolution, one, of the defense and what their scheme is. Uh, and two, just if they are going to play small, I think just by nature, the more that you're back together, the more that – and that's where I, I circle back. Yeah, he was around last year, and he understands um, systematically what they're trying to do. But Kyrie Irving hasn't really been around, hasn't been in practices. So um, those type of instinctual things with all five on the court, I thought, are positive. And, yeah, I mean, offensively, I, I don't know. And I'm sure, you know, that's going to be something for teams. Like, my curiosity is – for as much as we focus on the big three having played such limited time together, so 14 games last year, um, it was only, what did we say, eight games in the regular season. How much does it change if opponents or the other teams are scouting? Like how much does it change when, when the opponent has more film, more tape, more, more of a runway to watch what they do when they're on the floor together? I don't, and, I don't think much to answer your question. I, I don't think much because – for as pretty as it can look when they're out there and, and I've called Kyrie their connector, when Kyrie's setting flare screens or ball screens, cutting, making the extra pass. He even made an extra pass to Bembry in the corner last night when Kyrie was open for a wing throw. I'm like, dude, that's DeAndre Bembry. Might want to just take that three instead of passing it to him. But, but, when, he, but, but, but when, he, when they're all out there, as pretty as it looks, the whole point of their team is we can win ugly. Like, scheme us all you want. Switch everything. Whatever we have, three of the five best isolation players in the entire league. Like, there's no, there you can, there's, there's no like Kyle Korver fancy Atlanta Hawks offense that okay we scout that and take it away in the playoffs. All this pretty stuff that works in the regular season. Kyle Korver, of course, a special advisor to the Brooklyn Nets. Thank now. you, thank um, you. Um, but so I, I don't, I don't. The answer to me is, you've either got to get lucky with cold shooting or they take an injury like they did last year. The answer for their offense, they take an injury like they did last year or you just murder them on defense. And that's, that's for, for as fun as this offense is, that's the area where I'm going to watch the rest of the season. They're ninth on defense for the season, 11th on offense, ninth on defense, 25th in defensive rebounding, which I mentioned before. And we've talked about this on multiple podcasts now. They are allowing a lot of shots at the rim and a decent amount of threes. Uh, but they are allowing the lowest effective field goal percentage in the league because teams are shooting 32% on threes against them. That's last or first from a defensive perspective. 
38% from mid-range. That's also first slash last. Is that luck? Is that skill? Do they regress? Does the rebounding become a crisis? Because if this is the ninth best defensive team in the league and they're healthy and they have everybody for half the games, I don't even know how to talk about them. That's that's a problem for the league. If they're the 20th best defensive team, that's really what they are, then you've got a shot to beat them four out of seven, especially if they only have Kyrie for half the games. And I, I just think it- – Will they remain ninth? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think they were, you know, they've been five, six, seven, like they, they have been floating up in, in the mid to top 10. Um, we're now close to 40 games in. I will say that in watching them last season, watching them now, the one thing that has always stood out to me is they understand how to get stops when it's closing time. And take that for what it's worth, whether it's whether it's about just locking in, whether it's about the engagement of all five players together. But that to me is what when you when you talk about, okay, you just absolutely have to murder them on the defensive end, crash the glass. I mean, there's games, obviously, you could point to the Memphis game, the Clippers game coming up with 20 some odd second chance for all, all of that stuff. But when it comes down to the playoffs, when it comes down to moments that matter, uh, I have seen them be able to execute on those ends. And, and that to me is where my biggest interest lies in continuing to watch them and watch how this plays out um, because they have those capabilities. It's just about doing it with a, a consistency um, and a sustained you know, level of effort. And so that, that to me is why that end of the floor Will they remain in the top 10 through the rest of the season? I'm not exactly sure. But with an offense like this, what you need is is to be a, a middle-of-the-pack defense, and, and they have shown that thus far. It's exactly what we talked about last year. If they're average on defense, you're in trouble playing against them. Look, the last 15 minutes of the game last night, that was the team I picked to win the championship before the season. The first 30 minutes of the game last night was like, Oh, did they? It was they the care? it was the Lance Stevenson show. Born Betty. Oh my God! We sh- I can't Indy, believe we baby. haven't talked about Lance. Lance Stevenson. Back in Indy, baby. Lance Stevenson was strumming the air guitar like two shots into the game and just <laughs> kept on shooting. MVP chance broke out for Lance Stevenson. Now, did it wear off in the second half a little bit? But that was a whole Dude, lot of fun when he entered the game and the entire arena was on their feet giving him a standing ovation. Like, you knew he had some juice going in. It's And it's the weirdest thing. This season has produced a bunch of moments like this where so Lance Stevenson is going bananas in the first quarter. He had 22 in the first quarter or 20 in the first quarter, 20-something. He cracked 20 yes. in the first quarter, yes. not starting the game. He came off the bench <laughs> and had 20 in the first quarter. And I'm sitting there, I was like, I feel like I just watched Lance Stevenson eight days ago play for another team. What was the team? And I'm like... Oh, the Hornets? No, he played for them before. Knicks? No. Oh, the Hawks! Lance Stevenson is on the Hawks! That's right! And it's like, I've had a couple of moments like that. The other guy I should have mentioned for the Nets that I have it is James Johnson. He's another interesting piece for that closing lineup. And I mentioned the sort of, I wish they had the Jeff Green-sized co-center for Durant. James Johnson is fits that profile, except he can't shoot it as well as Jeff Green. He can do a lot of other things as well as Jeff Green. So I, I think that piece is still... Alleged, it's somewhat quote unquote missing for them. It's hard to argue though. They they turned the Jeff Green salary slot into Patty Mills, who's been incredible for them. Oh, extraordinary! He's been he's had a couple off nights. Um, he had some big shots. He made some big threes down the stretch uh, last night. But but he has been extraordinary. Look, 
it's it's one game against a bad team. Um, the Bucks are still there. The Bulls are atop the East. The Heat are are just keep. I, I honestly think the Heat might. I, I don't know how they keep winning these games. Jimmy's out. Bam's out. Kyle Lowry gets ejected. They still win, albeit against the Kings, who stink. I'm beginning to think the Heat could play four on five and find a way to sneak out. Vincent. So, Gabe so Vincent, wins. man. <laughs> he didn't even play. I think he's still in protocols no. right now. Yeah, he, I don't, really? he didn't even play last night. They, oh. I, it's ridiculous. Omer Yurtseven Yurt is like Wilt Chamberlain. Um, yeah, Spo is unbelievable. Like, those teams aren't going anywhere, and then you get the juggernauts out west. Like, it's not going to be easy. It's only one game, but the Nets reminded me and you and the world last night, oh, whoa, at least for 15 minutes. Would I like to see a little better first 30 minutes against Born Ready and the Pacers? There's a long way to go. This is an unprecedented situation, but – uh, it it was nice to watch them play 15 to 18 minutes of awesome basketball last night. Anything else that we should talk about after this game? I, when does he play again? I, I feel like I need to have the schedule on my so well. I, I was to going track to... when I yeah yeah. You, you could just ask me, Z. I'll just keep you keep you up to date. Um, I I think what's going to be interesting is going so due to the uh, rescheduling of the Portland game. The Nets have a crazy back-to-back, which is actually playing Sunday. The game moved to the afternoon against the Spurs at Barclays Center, now at noon. And then they fly to Portland, play at Portland on Monday night, and then fly to Chicago and play at Chicago Wednesday night. And I know some. I know someone who is a um, high school and college basketball legend in Chicago. D. Wade got her. Got her got her jersey retired somewhere uh, i think uh, I, I know i know shot. i know good old shot Allie quigley Allie quigley uh, no, but any, someone, anyway, someone else someone we're gonna else. keep it moving my my point is that i i would assume that Kyrie will play in every road game that's possible but that's um it's an interesting travel but the portland game is one thing i'm really i would i'm really anxious to see hopefully some somewhat complete squads for both chicago and both brooklyn Next Wednesday, Kyrie being able to play, uh, I think that's going to be just a, a really, really fun midseason test. See what it looks like again with the way the season is going. Who knows how rosters look and, and who's available or what's happening? But um, but to me, that that'll be a, a fun look at if the big three are all playing, if Chicago has most of its guys. Um, yeah, how how they square up, how they match up. I mean, the Bulls are, are absolutely rolling, so. To me, that'll that'll be a, a a nice test, and then Kyrie would have a couple games, you know, under his belt to, yeah, to see how that looks. So that to me will be um, will be something to look forward to. Well, my advice to you for all those travels around the country is just take it a day at a time. Just take it one day at a time. <laughs> and uh, Sarah Kustak, uh, your work on the S Network is is just second to none. You and Ian and Grady and Ruko uh, are incredible. It's 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 second to none, except when RJ comes in and, and screws it up and you know and, and messes up your broadcast. Shout that's exactly RJ. how that's exactly how we feel. Yeah, you should. Uh, keep up the great work. I will hopefully see you soon at a basketball game once this wave maybe hopefully passes. Knock on every wood surface there is. Sarah Kustak, uh, thank you for your time. We'll see you soon. You're the bestie. Thank you. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, 
birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, I'm very excited to bring on this next guest. First time he's ever been on to talk about the current number one seed in the Eastern Conference, the 25 and 10 Chicago Bulls. And that number one seed could be really important because you could get all the way to the finals. I can't even believe we're saying that, playing only one of Brooklyn and Milwaukee if they stay at two and three. To talk about this exciting, fun team, or really, it's a show, the Chicago Bulls. One of my favorite analysts in the NBA, eight-year veteran, three-time champion, one of the guys who made the untucked jersey in college basketball cool, Stacy King. How are you, sir? Hey, what's going on, Zach? I'm hanging in. I'm not doing as well as the Chicago Bulls, I'll tell you that much. This must be so much fun for you because I can tell, I can just tell listening to you on the broadcast how much you are loving. I mean, you bring enthusiasm and catchphrases to every game, but there's a different spirit to you with this team playing, not only winning, but just playing a fun brand of basketball, right? I can, it comes yeah. through the mic. Well, I mean, that's, that's an honest assessment. I mean, you know, for the last five or six years, this team has been down. They've been rebuilding, bringing in different parts. We, you know, we changed front office uh, coaches and to see where this team is right now with the way they're playing and the expectations being so low for this team, even in the beginning of the season, um, and to see where they are now and see how they played all season, even with having so many guys miss because of the NBA protocol, um, you know, it's been amazing. It's just been a fun ride. What has surprised you most about them? What are they better at than you thought they would be there? Than they thought they'd be at at this stage? Like, what are they excelling at that you didn't necessarily see coming? Well, just the chemistry. You know, when you bring this many players and this many talented players to a roster. You know, last year we had Vooch come in from Orlando. We traded Wendell Carter Jr. for him. And the chemistry with him and Zach wasn't really there in the half part of the season. And you could see they struggled a little bit uh, trying to find their roles and how they were going to play with one another. So that's kind of expected when you bring a lot of new players on. You got, you know, Lonzo Balls here, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso. I mean, this whole roster is basically brand new. So uh, to bring this collection of talent together, you thought it would take them a while to mesh. And right from preseason, I watched their preseason practices uh, right from the get go. You could tell that the chemistry was there, that they really enjoyed playing with one another. And uh, 
they just seem to really get along. And everyone who's here's purpose is about winning. They don't care how they do it. They don't care who's the man, who scores the most. They're all about winning, and it's rubbed off throughout the whole roster. So I was wrong about the Bulls. I had the Bulls pegged somewhere between six and eight in the East, and they are currently first. So I'm like way off, six to eight, <laughs> way off. But if you go back and listen to what I said and wrote about them in July, August, when they were doing all this stuff, I was super optimistic about their offense, and that that has played out. And the reason I think it's played out is you look at all these guys, Damar, Zach, Vooch, they were all kind of just a little over their heads as like the undisputed number one option on, on their respective teams. You put them all together, and it's like everyone has to do almost the exact right amount that they should do. Nobody is like overburdened. And in between all that, you've got guys like Caruso and Lonzo who don't care how many points they have. And really all they want to do is connect point A to point B. So I'm not surprised the offense, everyone fretted about too many mid-rangers and Vooch likes to post up and DeMar likes to, I thought that was nonsense all the time. I thought their offense was top 10 minimum. I think they're fourth or fifth right now. It's the defense that was the reason for my pessimism. Levine has been a minus defender in his career. DeMar, Vooch, obviously Lonzo and Caruso are, are sensational, but you, you tend to think of defenses flowing from the bigger guys to the smaller guys, right? Like the smaller guys can only do so much. They're 10th or 11th in defense right now. If that keeps up, this is an uh-oh team. So I'll put it to you as a big guy who played in the NBA for a long time. What is this team doing defensively that has them near or at the top 10? And has that surprised you at all? Well, no. It, it, first of all, let me commend you being one of the most honest guys out there because you admitted that you had them as a 6-8 and eight and you didn't really know if they were going to be as good defensively. And you just admitted like, hey, I made a mistake. They're better than what I thought. There's a lot of guys out there, Zach, that don't want to admit that they were wrong. And, you know, and so now – they're starting to see this team for who they really are. And you go back to last season, Zach, you know, that wasn't really an NBA roster. There was the guys playing in the NBA, but let's be honest, those guys were, were not rotational players. The guys they were trotting out besides Kobe, uh, Kobe White, Zach, uh, Patrick Williams, you know, and then Vooch in the second half of the season, it was some hardworking, you know, guys who come out and bust their butt, but they, it wasn't an NBA roster. And Billy Donovan had that, that team in 12th in defensive efficiency. So now you go out this year and you plug in better players, better athletes, get them to buy into what Billy Donovan is. And I don't think Billy gets the credit he deserves as far as being able to mess so many different personalities on a team together. I don't think he got credit in Oklahoma City when you had, you know, Westbrook, Durant, you know, you had the Baca, and then they didn't win. They should have won it when they were up three to one. But he got a lot of the blame and not enough credit to keeping that team, you know, playing to well together and put their egos in check. And then, you know, a couple of years ago with, with when he had Chris Paul, you know, that team wasn't even supposed to be even in the top eight. They ended up being fourth in the w tough Western Conference. And he got all those guys to buy into what he was doing. And he's done the same thing here in Chicago. And I think when you look at DeMar, DeMar comes with a chip on his shoulder. Okay. First of all, to, to hear and, you know, these athletes, all players read and listen to what everybody says. Even if they don't, they have people in their inner circle that's hearing what everybody's saying and they report back to them. So DeMar is a person that has a chip on his shoulder. You know, he, he gave so much in Toronto. 
you know, so much in Toronto. I mean, this is a guy who wanted to be a Toronto Raptor the rest of his life. You know, kid from California. He wasn't looking to get to a bigger market. He wasn't trying to go back to the Lakers. He he was willing to stay there. He worked his butt off on the court and he was great off the court. And then when he got traded the year they won the championship, that was devastating to that kid. You know, he worked his butt off so hard to get to this point, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're not going to be able to reap the rewards of all your hard work and sacrifice. And then to hear all these people say he's done, the Bulls overpaid, the worst signing in the history of free agency, that had to like sting him a little bit. So he has a chip on his shoulder. He wants to show people that he can win. I'll do whatever it takes to win. And I think the, the overall uh, – thought process with him and Zach, they wouldn't be able to coexist because they're both scorers. They're both alpha number one guys. And I don't think people thought that they would be able to exist. But as you know, Zach, great players, they find ways to coexist with one another. They find ways to to make their talents blend in with each other. And then when you get those two guys doing that, then it just kind of goes downhill. But defensively, uh, they have really done a great job at the three-point line. That's been a key for them this year, their rotation. Uh, they've been going with a small lineup, so they're much quicker. Um, and, yeah, they, you know, they're they, getting out they to They fly, the, man. They are yes, fly. They you, are flying. <laughs> you don't get open threes against the Bulls. I mean, there are some breakdowns, and a lot of teams have breakdowns. But it's very seldom you see a guy not out on rotation or a hand up. And I think that's been the biggest difference this year. Because that, as you know, Zach, if you it doesn't matter who you play. If you're giving up three-point shots and guys are knocking wide open shots down, it's going to be tough to beat those type of teams, especially the good teams. And so far, they've done a great job of closing out on shooters and forcing teams to get out of their comfort zone and do things they really don't want to do. Maybe that's what it is, because if you look at the numbers of their defense, they're they're allowing the fourth fewest threes in the league, which is great. That's what that's exactly what you're talking about. That's what you want. And like I said, they fly. And of all the teams I've seen in person, and I haven't seen as many in person this year as I'd like because I dialed back my travel a little bit, they gain the most upon seeing them in person. Like I was in the press seats in L.A. are really close to the floor. And I was at that game against the Lakers when Lonzo hit like seven threes and they just like ran the Lakers off the floor. The the athleticism yeah. and speed advantage was like jarring in person. They but but if you look at their numbers, they're not particularly like good at anything else defensively. Like free throws, they're average, rebounding, they're average, even turnovers, they've they've gone down to about average. At the beginning of the season, they were getting steals left and right. And they're last in shots allowed at the rim. And that they allow the most shots at the rim, and that looks like a red flag. But maybe, maybe if I dig deeper into it, maybe it's what you're talking about. Maybe they're running guys off the line that don't necessarily want to venture into the paint. Maybe they're getting a little lucky. Maybe their rim protection has been very good. That's a little bit of a red flag. But maybe, maybe it stems in part from they're just running everybody off the line, and and some of that is going to go to the rim naturally. I don't know. Well, and, and what we what I've seen this year where they've had some problems with teams is when you have a four, a power forward, and a center that are interchangeable, that both can play out on the perimeter, pick and pop. Both of them can post up. They'll go back to Indiana with with Miles Turner and Sabonis, who are very interchangeable parts, um, and they have a size advantage. And when the Bulls play teams with you know, a, a size advantage, that tends to be a problem because you're giving up second chance opportunities because you're, you know, not to take anything away from Javante Green, who who reminds me of Tony Allen, who can guard anybody, uh, is a ferocious defender, 
but he's really 6'3", and he's really a two-guard playing power forward. And he's going up against a Miles Turner, a Kevin Durant, a, uh, you know, Anthony Davis. So you're going to get out-rebounded. You're going to give up second-chance opportunities. And so that's one area, if I said there's a weakness right now, is the lack of size. You know, getting another – because Patrick Williams not being there and going out as early as he did really hurt them because he was their stretch four. He was the guy that they were looking for this year to take a huge jump from his rookie season to really start now showing everyone that he's a cornerstone for the future. Then he gets hurt on a dunk against New York, breaks his wrist, and and the Bulls had to scramble a little bit. They had to put different players in there, plug different players, and, and that's the mark of Billy Donovan and his coaching staff, that they were able – to kind of patch the tire per se and be able to get more wear and tear out, out the wheel. Um, but how long will that, how long will that happen? How long will they be able to do that um, and be able to just keep mixing and matching? So you just, you just brought up a ton of the meat that I want to get into, but the, before that, I'm glad you brought up Billy Donovan multiple times because you see college coaches come to the NBA and you just don't know as someone, I don't really follow college basketball that much anymore. You never know. Is is like college is just so different. Is it going to translate? Was it really about the recruiting in college and less about the coaching? And then he comes to the NBA. And like you said, he gets this star studded Oklahoma city team, which is like, they just roll the ball out. KD and Russ, they do what they do. Then KD leaves and it becomes the Russ triple double show. Then Russ, then PG comes and then they have the Chris Paul year and it's like one star cycling in after another. And you just come away like, what is the, what does Billy Donovan stand for as a coach? Like, what is he about? Then he goes to the Bulls and the Bulls find a way to win with this roster. I think zooming out, you just have to conclude this guy's an awesome coach. Like he adapts yes. to the talent that he has. He lets the best players play to their strengths. The, his teams always play hard. They always compete defensively. You watch their games and you come away thinking, huh, that's a smart adjustment. And you never come away thinking, well, I can't believe they didn't adjust to that. Or I can't believe they tried that dumb idea. It's just like none of it is like spectacular. There's no like, oh, he did a box and one. And oh, my God, like, look at this. He guarded this center with a point guard. It's crazy. But you just come away like just rock solid. The guy right now, Billy Donovan, would be my, my vote for coach of the year. I would, too. And, and you know, to further add on to that, Zach, I mean, him and Brad Stevens, you know, when Brad Stevens was really at the top of his game as a coach, the one thing you saw to those guys, they, they never panicked. And your players look, because, you know, everybody says, who's the leader of the team on every NBA team? Who's the leader of the team? They always want to look at the star player. Well, you know, LeBron's the leader. Uh, you know, Zach's the leader. DeMar's the leader. No, the leader is the coach. The players follow the coach. The coach is the actual leader of an NBA team. Okay, the players go out and play, and yeah, they get all the glory when they win. And most of the time when the team fails, it always falls on the coach. But the players look for the coach's guidance and they look for the instructions from the coach. So when the coach is over there and he's he's nervous and it's an out-of-bounds play with 10 seconds to go and it's the last possession of the game and he's panicking over there, the players are looking at him like, man, what what are we doing? Like what so so now they're going to panic because they don't really know. But when you have coaches like Brad Stevens, you know, Billy Donovan, Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson. I was going to say, you, you, you played yes. for the ultimate calm yes. guy. Yes. yes. And when those guys are calm, it, it presents a whole calmness to the whole roster. One through 12 has the same mentality. You're never you're never out of sorts. You're never nervous. And he's not a yeller. You know, see some of these coaches, you know, screaming, ah, rah, 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 barking, barking. And the players, you know, like, well, you know, some players, as you know, there are some players who can take that type of coaching 
And there's other players that you have to be able to push different buttons to get them motivated to do. That's what made Phil Jackson a great coach. Phil can look at a guy and say, okay, I can, I can yell at Scotty and bark at Scotty and get him to what I need him to do. I could bark at Stacy and BJ, but I might not be able to bark at Horace Grant. I might have to coach him a little differently. I might have to give him a little bit more praise and a little bit more building him up than I do with other people, but I can still get the same results. And that's the mark of a, a great coach is to be able to know the pulse of your team, which players have that, that mentality where they can, they can respond when you get on them. And then which players do I have to back off a little bit to get the same results? And Billy is one of those guys. You know who I've heard that he's, he's realized I have to coach him up. Like I have to praise him. He respond. He doesn't respond to yelling, screaming. He wants, but is, is Vooch. I've heard he's done a really good job yes. pumping up Vooch saying, Hey, this is what you can bring to the table on defense. I know you haven't been considered a defender, but like, look what happens when you really get big in the pick and roll. Look what happens around the rim. And Vooch look slumped from the field for a lot of the season, yes, got COVID missed some games, starting to shoot a little better lately has been, this is the best defense I think he's ever played in his career. And, and not only is he coming on, Kobe White is starting to find his footing. And if you get Kobe White on that bench with Desunmu and Caruso and Tony Bradley and Derek Jones Jr., like all of a sudden you got a pretty deep team, which brings me to my question. One of the questions that st- I asked Jeff Van Gundy last week on this podcast, and, and a lot of people have started to ask this question is, can the Bulls make the finals? Like, are the Bulls a finals team? And what you're really, and that's a fun question to think about, but let's drill down even further. What you're really asking when you ask that question is, can they beat Brooklyn and or Milwaukee four times in seven games? And that is super interesting from the Bulls perspective because it links up with the guy who you mentioned before, and that's the guy they don't have, Pat Williams. Pat Williams would have been the guy to get the Durant assignment. Might have gotten some shots at Giannis. Um, now, and, and when you talk about can you beat Brooklyn and Milwaukee, everything flows from who do you have to guard those guys or how do you guard those guys as a team. So we're going to see Chicago-Brooklyn next week. Chicago's 2-0 and against Brooklyn so far. I believe that game's in Chicago, so you'll see yes, it is. Ky- Kyrie. So yep. far from what I remember, the Bulls have given Javante Green that KD assignment and said, just get up underneath him. Just be a no, like guard him like Drew Holiday guards him. Get up underneath him. Is that what you expect to see against KD? Is he up to that? Can that work? Is that enough? Well, I mean, we, we've had success against Brooklyn. And, um, you know, they had Harden and they had, you know, Kevin Durant. And uh, and we did a great job defensively. I mean, you're not going to, you know, stop a Kevin Durant. You're just not. You're not going to stop a James Harden. You just got to hope they miss shots. You got to really make them work on the offensive end and then make them guard people on the defensive end. They can't take nights off. A lot of times your superstar players, they can take nights off defensively because they're doing all the offense. But you got to make both of those guys work, get through screens. There is no nights off when you're when you're a superstar player and having to play both ends of the court. So in order for the Bulls to win a seven game series against either one of those teams. Now, we haven't played Milwaukee yet. But I was, I'm going to ask my next question is how, yeah. how, do you see, how do you see that matchup against Giannis? <laughs> so so it's it's tough. But I, I think that anyone if anyone wants to beat Giannis and it's a lot easier said than done, you know, you have to be number one. You have to be dedicated 
on defense. You have to be locked in. You have to understand where he's at on the floor at all times. Number one, you've got to take the transition flow away from him. He's not, you cannot let him get a ball off the glass and go 94 feet like a freight train and then go down there and dunk the ball with his length. You have to pick him up when he starts to dribble. One dribble, someone's got to be up there on him force him to turn, force him to have to dribble under duress or give the ball up. The second way you have to stop him is anytime he's on the perimeter, I'm giving you the three-point shot. If you take 10 three-point shots and you nail 50% of them that night, I'm slapping you on the butt and say, great job, because we can deal with that because he's not a great three-point shooter. Where he is great at is putting the ball on the floor from that distance and then taking two dribbles from the three-point line all the way to the rim and dunking on you or getting the foul. So when he does beat someone off the dribble, you have it's almost like a zone defense per se. Even though you're playing man-to-man, wherever he's driving, whether it's to the left side, you want to send him to his left because he wants to spin back to his right. But anytime he puts the ball on the floor, either way, let's just say he goes right, the closest guy defensively has to present a wall because it's easier, Zach, to stop dribble penetration and allowing a guy to get to the rim, you know, from eight to 10 feet, then it is to, you know, it's easier to close out to a guy shooting 23, 24 feet. You got a better shot. You know, I know Grayson Allen shot the ball, Drew, you know, Drew Holiday. They've got some shooters, Pat Connaughton. They got some guys that can knock shots. But how are they when the when the game is on the line? You know, when it's pressure time and they look for Giannis to get him out of it or Chris Middleton to bail him out of certain situations, you've got to make other guys step up and be the hero because you know what Giannis is going to do. You know what, you know, you know what Chris Middleton is going to do. And Drew Holiday is that third guy. So if you can, you can make it tough on Giannis and make him a playmaker because I still don't believe just watching him all these years, he's gotten much better passing. But I would rather see him be a playmaker and having to get the ball out after being a trapped or double team and make him make the right basketball decision because everything comes so easy for him because of his length and his ability to get to the rim from 24, 25 feet. Well, you saw what he did in the finals when he just said, I'm going to the paint and good luck. And I'm going to drop yes, dunks yes. and layups and finishes yes. on you. And I just think the whole the Bucks have really rendered the whole sit back and wait for Giannis to come at me defense. I, I don't know that you can play that anymore unless you have like Embiid or Gobert and the Bulls with respect to Vooch don't have that, don't have no. that player. The Bucks have also rendered it not as effective by using Giannis much less as just an ISO ball handler and much more as a screen setter for Middleton and yes. holiday and turn him into a dive guy. So that's why I'm interested in how the Bulls approach it because I don't think you can just put Vooch on him and say just wait for him at the rim. That's death. No. Derek Jones Jr., he'll get shots at him, but he's too skinny. Javante Green's too small. I don't I wonder if they'll put like Green will get shots at him. I wonder if they'll even try some guards at him and just and do what you indicated before. Just like get up into him, even if he's at the three-point line, just disrupt his dribble, try and be a pain in the ass. They'll obviously do lots of different things, but I'm fascinated by how Billy Donovan tries to answer that question because the answer of how do you guard Giannis is not with this Bulls roster is, is not an obvious one to me. Well, and, and here's another way because the NBA pretty much plays the same defense across the board. You know, any kind of pick and roll, they're either going to switch it, you know, guard, guarding the big, big guarding the guard. They're going to play drop defense. It's, it's a staple in the NBA. 
you know, I my mindset is to do something different if I'm if I'm the defensive coordinator for whatever team I am playing against Milwaukee, you know, because you know that Giannis wants to set the screen and he wants to switch. He wants to get the switch between him and Drew Holiday. Drew wants the big guy on him. And then Giannis wants the little guy dive into the basket where, you know, he's going to get the ball three feet away from the basket and just basically be plastic man and dunk the ball. So how about this? How about the guy who's guarding Giannis push up? Don't allow him to roll. It keeps you connected to him. And as that guard comes off, now your guard goes underneath two man removed. And now you pick up Drew Holiday. Guard stays on guard. You take away the roll and the dive cut from Giannis and you make him either have to rescreen, do it again, which taking time off the shot clock and you continue to play the same defense, push up, go underneath one man removed and let Drew Holiday be that guy now to try to beat you from 24, 25 feet off the off the uh, bounce. Now shot clock goes down. You disrupt their their offense and you mix that coverage up a little bit. You don't run it the whole game, Zach, but you put it in certain situations where, you know, you say we're going to run in the first quarter, but second quarter going to be something different. Third quarter, we come back, we'll go right back to it. Fourth quarter. That's what we did in Chicago in the 90s when we won championships. We give you one look, we change it up. And then you thought you figured it out. Then all of a sudden we're back to something different. You've got to do players like him, your superstar players, you know, Steph Curry. You've got to give them different looks because these guys are too smart. If you're going to keep doing the same thing and remember this, Zach, they these guys practice against the same defense that they face in games. So therefore, if they're seeing it every day in practice, they're seeing it every night. There is no adjustments because they know exactly where they're going to attack it. They know exactly if you do this, I know where the ball needs to go. But you've got to start mixing up your coverages and how you do things guarding certain teams. If not, they're going to kill you. Can the Bulls make the finals as presently constituted? Uh, you know what? I mean, the way they're playing, I think they can. You know, but uh, – it's, it's going to be tough because of the size that some of these teams have. It's all about, like we talk about boxing, you know, uh, you know, style makes fights. Okay. If they get in against a team that tries to play with them small ball, and a lot of teams have tried that and they get ran out of the building, you know, they can't do it, you know. Um, but if they get a team that's committed to saying, hey, look, we're just going to pound them. You know, like, I mean, they got Javante Green on, you know, Giannis, or they got Javante Green on Kevin Durant. Get in the post. Don't even come, just throw it in there and then make them have to double and make adjustments defensively and then just find the shooters. And with Kyrie, even though it's a part-time situation, I mean, I don't know if I want to be in that situation because, you know, he can't play home games. And so what if you get in a series where he's playing on the road and they're down 0-2 and now you don't get them, you don't get them at home? You know, that's that's a tough situation to be in. And and same thing, if they're up 2-0, it's a good situation to be in because now all you got to do is just go home and take care of business. But that's a tough situation. But I, I believe with the way they're constructed, I think they're one player away. Um, you know, they I think they need a power forward. I, I would like to see them get in on um, either Jeremy Grant in Detroit, find a way to make that move, um, or, or Miles Turner. And I really like Miles Turner because the simple fact – that he can play perimeter, he can give you a big that can stay with uh, Giannis and defend him, and 
he gives you a rim protector. When you want to slide Vooch out and give Vooch a rest, you slide him to center. Now you go at that small ball lineup that you've been playing with now, and you got a legitimate pick and roll defender, a guy that can rim protect, and then also a guy that can switch on guards and defend guards and move his feet. That would be an ideal, ideal thing. But I'm playing general manager like I'm on uh, NBA 2K. No, well, I'm going to make you play pleasure. general manager. Don't worry. Don't worry. So I haven't, th- I haven't thought about Miles Turner for them or Sabonis, uh, either of the Indiana big men, partly because the reason it, I was going to say the reason it works in Indiana, it only kind of works. They're 14 and 24. Nothing's working all that well for them. But Turner guards fives so he can stay around the rim, meaning Sabonis has to guard fours. And Sabonis is like barely barely nimble enough to guard fours. Yeah. Vooch ain't doing that. Vooch is, I'm not no. putting Vooch on fours. No. But no. Jeremy Grant, I was going to ask you straight up, uh, the most popular fake trade circulating around league circles. I asked Van Gundy, I put him on the spot last week. Would you trade Pat Williams for Jeremy Grant? That's tough. I mean, that's tough because I, I'm a huge Patrick Williams fan. Me too. But as you, but as you know, in order to get something, you got to give up something, you know, and that's a tough, that's a tough sale. I really trust, you know, our tourists and, and you know, Mark Eversley and JJ Polk and Billy. I, I know what they know what they're doing. I mean, to have this such a quick turnaround and like just less than a year has been extraordinary. So I put trust in them. If they feel like that's the move to make, you know, because you got to ask yourself, what what's Patrick's ceiling? Is he superstar level? You know, is he that guy that could be a superstar or you know, is he a guy like Jeff Green, you know, who is super talented, who can do a lot of different things, who can help you as a rotational player, he can handle it, he can shoot it, he can rebound. He doesn't do one thing particularly well where you go, wow, that wow factor. You know, is he that type of guy? What is his ceiling? Who Who is he? Is, who do they see him as a player in, say, four years? You know, what player do they see? Do they see superstar player, guy that can, you know, be a cornerstone for the next 10 years? Or do they see a guy who can be a great rotational player, a six-man, you know, rotational guy, like a Jeff Green type player? Not not knocking Jeff Green. Jeff Green has been everywhere he's gone, he's helped his teams win games. And he's super talented. And if you look at, you know, you look at the way he plays, you know, he, he's one of those guys who who just kind of plays. He's not emotional. He's not beating his chest. He just goes out there, does his business, and goes home. You know, plays hard for whatever team he is, but he's super talented. Can handle the ball. He can pass. He can shoot. But he's always been a rotational player. He hasn't been a superstar player. But coming out of Georgetown, people thought he had the potential to be, you know, a superstar player. So I'll tell you where we came out on this question last week. I said I would chicken out and not do the trade. And Van Gundy said, in a heartbeat, I'm trading Pat Williams for Jeremy Grant. We got to win now. We got to try and win now. Bucks and uh, Bucks and Nets are like, they got a lot of questions between the injuries in Milwaukee and Brooke Lopez and, you know, everything with the Nets. This is our time. We can't wait. And I said, I just think I like Pat Williams too much. And I maybe don't like Jeremy Grant quite enough. Like, I'm not sure he does quite enough to bump up my championship odds. My Pat, well, the Pat Williams ceiling question is an interesting one because there's a big gap between superstar and Jeff Green. If you ask me, like, what's a reasonable, and I, I'm like you, I'm a big Pat Williams fan. We haven't seen that much of him in, in the NBA with all no. the injuries and stuff. So to sit here and say he's a superstar, when I hear the word superstar, I think top 15 player in the NBA. To, to, to see, to, to project that, maybe he gets there. It's just, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to project that for anybody who's played the limited minutes he's been. 
I think a reasonable optimistic projection I'm optimistic about him is like he becomes a really good player who who gets good enough that he's like a one or two time all-star that's kind of on the fringes of that conversation every year. That's a hell of a player, particularly if he becomes an elite defensive player. Jeremy Grant is super interesting because I think whoever his next team is, and Chicago would be perfect for this, but everyone's going to try to get Jeremy Grant. He's going to find the perfect landing spot for him because he's proven, all right, I can do more than I did in Denver. Yeah. But I've also but I've also learned, okay, I probably shouldn't be doing as much as I've been doing in Detroit because that's not good for – we can't – that's not a winning environment. Yeah. You put me somewhere in between where I'm doing a little bit more in Den- than I did in Denver, a little bit less than I did in Detroit. Now we got something. I'm just not sure he's quite as big of an upgrade on defense or on the boards that I'm sacrificing Pat Williams, but I- I'm tempted. I- I'd also call the Kings and see if maybe I could get Harrison Barnes without giving up Pat Williams. That's another guy who could fit. Yeah. I, just, I really like Pat Williams, I- but I'm a chicken. I'm chicken, uh- Stacy. I'm a chicken. <laughs> And Van Gundy was like, are you kidding me? Go for it. Try to win now. I, maybe I'm just too much yeah. of a chicken. I mean, I mean, I agree with, you know, Jeff uh, on the fact that there's a window right now for them. Probably it, this window is a lot bigger than what it was at the beginning of the season. And now that window is open because of, first of all, the COVID protocol. You don't know how that's going to turn out at the end of the season. You've got, you know, Ben Simmons not being in Philadelphia. And how is Philadelphia going to be? Uh, we've already seen Brooklyn without Kyrie. They're still a very good team, but they definitely need him to to get out of the Eastern Conference. Um, and Milwaukee, who started off slow, and that was probably a hangover from winning the championship and expectations. Because as you know, when you win a championship, you're no longer the surprise team. You're no longer flying under the radar. Now everybody, you're everybody's Super Bowl per se. They're going to give you their best game every night. And I think Milwaukee now has noticed that and they've made the adjustment. Okay, cool. This is how we're going to do it. We got to get guys healthy and then we're going to get back to where we were. Now, on the flip side, the window's open and opportunities probably has presented itself a lot sooner than the Bulls anticipated. So now you got to ask yourself, do we go for it now and kind of mortgage our future per se? Or do we stand pat because a lot of people didn't think we're going to be here and just roll with what we got? Maybe look at buyouts, who gets bought out, you know, in the second half of the season. Uh, Or if it's a deal they can make without having to give up, you know, one of their key young players like a Kobe White, you know, or Patrick Williams. You know, you don't want or draft picks. I mean, you know, it all depends on which direction they want to go, Zach. I mean, me personally, I think they can go deep with the team they've got. But if they really, really want to get out of the Eastern Conference, I think they're honestly, you know, one player away, especially at the four position, not having Patrick Williams back for the whole season. Now, he may come back for the playoffs, but as you know, he's going to be rusty. He's going to be out of shape. And that's not really what the Bulls need. But if you can swing a deal to get, you know, a Jeremy Grant without having to give up something like Pat, <laughs> awesome. But you know that's not going to happen. Well, they do have Portland's pick. Um, that they can trade my my answer for now is the finals feels like a stretch to me I think Brooklyn's better I think Milwaukee's better um they're the the fact that they give up the most shots at the rim on defense and take the second fewest threes on offense they're kind of battling math on both ends of the floor in a way that makes me a little bit nervous so they have the personnel to battle to win that battle against math on a lot of nights that said 
Man, if they stay number one and the seeds break right for them and you've only got to beat one of those two teams, that's a huge deal. Like, people really underestimate. Like, look at Atlanta last year. They they got into yeah. that sort of situation. And I just think, like, if they can only beat one of those teams, all of a sudden you're, 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 you need less – you need fewer breaks than it looked like you were you were gonna need. Can I ask you a couple old Bulls questions before I let you go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. I got I, I can't not do it. <laughs> uh, so nineteen ninety two finals against Portland. Okay, your your second straight finals. Great series, by the way. That was an awesome series yeah. as a fan. Awesome. Game three, Bill Cartwright in Portland. It's one 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 one. Bill Cartwright fouls out of the game. Stacy King comes in. Eight points, almost all in the fourth quarter, I think. One of the biggest moments of your career on a against a Portland team that was geared up to beat you guys. What do you remember about that game? And, and that I mean, that's as high pressure as it gets. 1-1 on the road in the finals. Number is called for a little bit longer than you expected, maybe. Well, and, and that's one of those situations, you know, you, you think about, you know, hey, look, you know, everyone has a role on a championship team. You know, when your number is called, you have to be ready. Now, coming from Oklahoma, I was a big time scorer. You know, um, I always tell people, you know, they said, oh, you know, um, you know, your career is not the way you wanted it. No, my career is exactly where I wanted it because I'm a winner. I want to be on a winning team. I want the opportunity to win championships. And, you know, Zach, if I went to the Clippers when they were struggling and, and gone to a team that was losing like lottery picks normally are supposed to do, you know, I probably averaged 25 points a game. I probably been, you know, an all star at that level. We don't know. But coming in off the wave that I was coming in off of at Oklahoma, I mean, the numbers, you know, do show that I probably would have been that. But coming on a team with Michael Jordan, two, you know, Scottie Pippen, two, you know, the greatest players of all time, you know, uh, a veteran like Bill Cartwright, Horace Grant. I had to me and BJ had to find our roles as young players and find our pecking order. And it may not have been the role that we wanted to play, but in order to win championships, man, you got to make sacrifices. You got to be able to put your ego to the side. So when you go back to that Portland series and many games throughout my career, you know, when 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 Phil would come to me and say, hey, we need you to score tonight. You know, my, my eyes would light up like, yeah, you know, but there'd be other nights he'd be saying we need you to rebound, defend and run the floor. You know, so your role was different every single time. But when he gave me that that green light to score, uh, I was licking my chops, baby. I, I was like, oh, you ain't got to tell me twice. I'm getting shots up. <laughs> ah! Next season, obviously, uh, the John Paxson three-pointer wins the finals in Phoenix. Uh, and I can close my eyes and see that play in my head. Jordan to Pippen. Barkley gambles on the steal. Pippen drives. Pippen to Grant. Grant kick out to Pax. Um you you were on the bench. You're jumping off the bench to celebrate. I don't know when you close your eyes. What what do you remember about the huddle drawing up that play or the huddle after that play where Phoenix has one more possession with 3.9 seconds left on the clock? I don't know either of those huddles or either of those moments. Like what do you remember of that play? Well, the 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 timeout when we were in the huddle was very calm. You know, no one was panicking because we'd been in those situations before. We were in that in our first championship, you know, against Los Angeles. And by the way, this is, to be clear, this is down two facing game seven on the road. Exactly. And you don't know, even though, you know, you don't know what a game seven is going to be because we'd never been in a game seven. And those are pressure situations. And I I would bet the house that we would have won a game seven because we had that man on our team, uh, MJ, I would have bet the house. Okay. I, and if we have lost, I lost everything, but I, I still would do it again. But well, the then you should definitely very... trade for Jeremy Grant. If you're <laughs> going to bet the house on game seven in Phoenix, hey, you got to trade for hey, Jeremy Grant. Hey, hey, Zach, I don't know about that one. Okay. I'm nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Zach, I don't know about that one. 
but but I will say this: it was it was ultra calm in the in the huddle because we had been in that situation before. You go back to that Los Angeles series, the first championship, when you hear it on the videos that are all there. You know, uh, Phil telling Michael who's open, and he's like, "Paxton's open on the double team." Well, then get him the damn ball. And so MJ gave up the ball, and Paxton hit the big shot you know, to win in Los Angeles. So we've been in those situations before. And the funny thing about it is, you know, Pax hit the shot, but Horace was the one who passed up a wide open shot because Barkley got late rotating out and he didn't want to take the shot. See, Horace could have been the hero and 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 been the guy they remember. But Horace is like a hot potato. Horace is like, oh, shit, I got the ball. Here, you take it. And then he passed it off to Pax who, you know, Johnny Clutch goes up and knocks it down. But there's still 3.9. You got Kevin Johnson, who's super fast, tries to bring the ball up. And who who gets the block? Horace Grant, the guy who passed it up and then made the key assist for us to get the game-winning shot, comes back and gets the game-winning block. And everybody in Chicago went crazy. Everybody on the bench went crazy. And it was just it was just an unforgettable feeling. So I rewatched that shot. Uh, before this podcast, just I like to rewatch big plays anyway. But I, I was like, "Where's Stacy? I want to see where Stacy is." And I discovered, I, I maybe I saw this and never had really, I just forgotten about it. But I, I saw something on the court in the play that I don't think I had ever noticed happened before. That is like absolutely crazy on on during the shot. Do you have any idea what it could be? No, not really. I, I mean, who, I know I was excited. I know all of us were. No, it was in the play. So Paxson goes up to shoot. There's like six seconds left in the game. The only guy who didn't touch the ball for the Bulls on that possession, except for inbounding the ball, was B.J. Armstrong. And B.J., yeah. I th- it's fuzzy. The video's fuzzy. I think it's B.J., though. He st- runs to the right corner, and he's out of the possession, watching the possession unfold. Paxson's shot. Go back and watch this. Paxson's shot goes in the air. BJ raises his arms like making the it's good sign while it's in the air and falls back on his back. Like almost, it looks like he does it on purpose. Like he's sort of fainting from excitement. Like my, like the play is still going on. If the rebound, oh, yeah. if the rebound had bounced over to him, he would have been on yeah. the floor. I, yeah. I've never yeah, seen yeah. that before. I got to go back and look. Cause I, I mean, it was so much, I mean, just imagine it that, that last year, cause all eyes are on Paxson. All eyes are on Paxson. So we're all focused on that last shot. John getting up, raising up, shooting at, and it's either a win or a loss. So we're all focused. And now that you say that, I got to go back and look at what Beach was doing. Because Beach might have did the Nesty plunge. Now that you say That's that. That's what it I looks mean, he's like. Done that, he's done that before. So I, I do I do probably agree with you on that. He probably was just so uh, caught up in the moment, like, you know, hey, we won the game and not recognizing time and possession. And, yeah, if that ball would have came back to him and he's laying in there with an ST plunge, you know, in the Phoenix crowd, <laughs> and if we end up losing that, he might be remembered for the rest of his life on that. Last one. Uh, what did you think of the last dance, and did it has it made you a little bit sad that it's created a little bit of a thing between MJ and Scotty? And you and I talked about Scotty this spring when that came out because I, I wrote a big piece on Scotty and what he meant to the team and what he meant to his teammates has it made you sad? Do you care? Did you like the documentary? You know what? I thought the documentary was really good for the fans. It gave people in a downtime with COVID, you know, something to be happy about, something to reminisce about. It, it, it opened up probably a new set of fans for the Bulls teams back then. Uh, more people recognized that Michael 
was, you know, as good as their parents said he was, you know, uh, Sky, because, you know, a lot of these kids weren't born, you know, they weren't born during those runs. And so they look at Michael Jordan as the guy who sells shoes. They don't look at Michael Jordan as the great player. And, you know, their parents probably said, sit down, let's watch this greatest player of all time. And they're like, dad, you know, look, look at the old film. Look at all this. Look at the shorts they're wearing, dad. Nobody wants to watch this. And a lot of these kids probably did not watch Michael during those days. And so it, it probably opened up a new fan base for him and, and for younger people to go, wow, he was better than maybe Kobe. He was better than LeBron. Oh, my God, my parents were right or my grandparents were right. So in that aspect, I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was, um, you know, I thought it was a little bit, um, a little bit sensationalized a little bit. I, I thought, you know, Scotty got portrayed a little. Um, I didn't like the way Scotty was portrayed in certain things because in that documentary, a lot of the things that Scotty did didn't really pertain to that second three peak. It was, you know, the 1.8 seconds was when MJ was retired. That really did, in my opinion, that really didn't need to be brought into the last dance. It had nothing to do with that. Um, you know, Scotty, the, the migraine, the migraine game, the migraine, the migraine game. You know what? I was there when Scotty had the migraine. I don't know, like I've never had a migraine, but any any of my friends who've had migraines have told me when you have one of the worst migraine headaches, you can't see, which Scotty couldn't. He was in so much pain uh, coming to Detroit for that, you know, that game seven. I mean, he was in tears and he tried to play and couldn't see and was just so visibly shaken by not being able to play. And he got such a bad rap for that. And, you know, his teammates knew what he was going through. He knew that he, he went out there and he wanted to play. And, and to have that in the documentary, bringing that back up, we ended up winning three straight championships after that. Would we have won the year he had the migraine? I, I probably think we could have. I honestly think we probably could have. Um, but Detroit ended up winning and uh, we came back the next year, you know, swept them. And then our dominance for three straight years, you know, happened. So, um, but I thought Scotty was portrayed a little, little harshly there. Um, and I understand where he's coming from because Scotty's always felt like he doesn't get the attention that he deserves. You know, he's always been looked at as Robin to Batman. You know, you know, it's funny because I always I always use this analogy. You know, everybody wants to be Batman, but it's like, damn, if I can't be Batman, I'll just be Robin. But nobody wants to be Alfred. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to be Alfred. So so so. But if you put it in perspective, you know, Scotty is one of the all time greatest you know, small forwards in the history of the game. He, no I mean, to be on to be on the top 50 while he was still playing, to be in the top 75 shows you, even with all the players that have come since him, he's still a top 75 player. Nothing that in his career, you can't deny anything that he's done in his career. I, and I, I, I always say he's a trendsetter because I thought that he created the point forward. You know, everybody will say, well, Magic was the point forward. No, Magic was a legit point guard at six foot nine. Scotty, in my opinion, was the point forward, the guy that could actually run your offense, get your team in, in the offense, could guard one through five. And I think sometime in history that people don't really give him the respect that he deserves. But people who know basketball, they know how important he was to those Chicago Bulls team and his teammates definitely know. Stacy King, you've been super generous with your time. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy you on the broadcast. And whether it's Adam Amin or Jason Benetti, on play by play, it's just a delightful broadcast. The joy you that the mix of just joy and fun 
with sneaking in the X's and O's and what you're observing is is really just tremendous. It's a it's a really fun watch. And uh, thank you for making a little time and uh, exciting next week for the Bulls, Nets, and then Warriors. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And you know, like I said, I know fans that get a chance to listen to me and listen to Adam. They, you know, I appreciate all the listeners. And as we get ready to get off this podcast, I'm going to my own podcast, the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast, which I have been on. Really, you you have been a special guest, and you have upped our ratings. And now, you know, we're up there with the big boys now. We're creeping up on the big boys, baby. We went from, like, being unknown to now we are known. Well, thank you for your time. Go do your podcast. Stacey King, everybody. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Zach. Happy New Year, buddy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.